From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, how best to avoid swooping magpies? And is it possible to make friends with an aggressive bird? All your questions answered from a wildlife expert. Plus, tips on reducing your chances of encountering snakes around the home. All that and more on the show to mark the beginning of spring this week. It's Monday, August 30, 2021, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Springtime in the southeast means magpie swooping season and keeping an eye on the sky. Wildlife expert Associate Professor Peter Murray from the University of Southern Queensland knows a thing or two and what to look out for and how to avoid being targeted. Hopefully he'll let us in on a few secrets. Thanks for speaking with Ipswich today, Peter. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Firstly, do all magpies who have babies actually swoop? No. The reality is, and there's a fair bit of research behind this now, that it's only a very small proportion and mostly... In fact, a lot of the evidence suggests it's just some males. Have you been able to establish what percentage of males? As low as 10%, in fact. So it's, you know... Wow. It's one of those funny things, Alan, that the reality is that if you get attacked in in your life, it's often you think every magpie is the same, but magpies are, you know, in association in urban areas with humans pretty much across Australia. So we're all familiar with magpies. Everyone knows their call. But we only have one. We can only if we only have one bad experience, it tends to stick in your mind, not realising that you've probably walked past or interacted with hundreds of magpies and just had one bad experience with one grumpy male magpie in oh, the breeding season. I think you're right there, Peter. I think we've if we've all gone to school in the southeast, we all have memories. <laughs> As a child, of being being swooped and thinking every magpie does it. Do they swoop before the eggs are hatched? Again, the the evidence is, and obviously this is a a problem that people are spending time and effort looking at, the evidence seems to be that the magpies sit on the eggs and it's only after the eggs hatch and then only for really a couple of weeks because the the magpies will sit on the eggs for three weeks and then within three or four weeks those uh, magpies magpies have hatched, fledged and flown away and it's while they're sitting on the fledglings that the male, and not all males, just that 10% who get a bit aggressive and they're the ones that are the problem. So not, not all year round, just a very small period of time. And how good are magpies at remembering faces? Well, this, this is the interesting thing. I grew up with magpies in Perth and I equally had the experience of being chased by magpies as a child going to school. The, the reality is it seems that if you give a magpie a bad experience and you know that might simply be chasing them off a lawn or giving them a fright one day, they do seem to be able to recognise people and for quite a few years. And so if you give them a bad experience and then you approach while they're on a nest, then you seem to be more likely to be attacked. And interestingly, more so if you're a male between about 10 and 30, that's where most of the attack seems to occur. You have to have, have the opportunity. The flip side of that is actually to befriend 
they cries. And the way I did that as a child was actually just to, to, to whistle and sing back to them and just, you know, talk to them as I approached them and they would watch me and then after a while they realised I wasn't a threat. So when it came to uh, nesting season, and that's only a small proportion of the year, they knew who I was and they knew I wasn't a threat and then they stopped swooping me. How interesting. Because I was going to ask, once you've been swooped, is it possible to make friends? And you're saying it is. It is, but I wouldn't feed them while they're nesting because what you're doing when they're swooping you and then feeding them is you're actually rewarding them for swooping and you don't want to do that. Ah, you want to, of course. You, mm. want, you want to get to the point of the year when they're not nesting and they're you know, feeding on grubs in your back garden or you know however you interact with them and then that's when you actually make the attempt not to, to frighten them, to make, but to make them aware that you're not a threat. And that's really why they swoop you because they think you're a threat in that nesting time and, you know, there's a lot of people who have stories and there's been people injured riding bicycles during that time when they swoop. And from a magpie's perspective, all they're seeing is something coming fast towards them. And if you were a, a good parent looking after your children in your house and something very large threatening came towards you, you probably would respond the same way, which is to see that person on a bicycle as a threat. Now, if you are in suburbia and you've got a certain uh, route that you ride or walk, are there any tricks whatsoever to avoid getting swooped if you can't go round a magpie's territory? Yes, I mean, the, 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 again, this is based on a lot of experience and now a lot of people looking at this. The um, but Arguably one of the easiest ways is to travel in a group, but walk. Um, you know, somebody that's walking slowly in a group is going to be not seen as a threat to a magpie unless it's really uh, an aggressive magpie. So I'm going to talk about normal breeding season with normal mm-hmm. uh, magpies. The other one is, you know, that the, most of the damage that seems to have been done by aggressive male magpies is actually to the face. So if you wear sunglasses and a broad-brimmed hat, and there's evidence again, an umbrella, they then, uh, you, then you're then protecting yourself and you're not looking like a human then, you're looking like something else. <laughs> um, people people have worn helmets, and you would have seen, I'm not sure, your listeners would have seen that if you paint eyes on the back of the helmet or the hat, what you're doing is actually giving two sets of eyes to the magpie, one looking behind you, and more often than not, they will actually come in from behind. Yes, and if they you do. Are, mm. If you are being swooped, then my advice would be that you uh, turn around and face them, and then watch them so that you know that you're not going to get attacked from behind. And then walk steadily away from them. Don't wave your arms. Don't shout at them because what you're doing is showing aggression back to the magpie. And that's just going to escalate. And the, that's really hard not to do that, isn't it? It's a natural reaction. Yes, and it's very easy for me to say that sitting in my office. But certainly <laughs> as a child, I didn't do that. I, I, did, I did act in, inappropriately, but that's, that's you know, expected of a child. Um, but it makes sense if you know if you were being approached by someone waving and shouting at you, you would feel quite threatened. Mm. And magpies are protecting their young by swooping, and so they're doing what they should be doing, which is looking after their young. And again, if you've given them a really bad experience earlier in their life, and you repeat that, and then they've got children, and then you come into their territory, and they don't have enormous territories, then they will respond in their mind appropriately, which is to protect their young. You mentioned the trick on the bike helmet of putting eyes on the back. What about the people putting cable ties and like spikes off their head? Does that have any effect? Mixed evidence about that. 
there are times, and maybe it's just individual magpies that, that do react to that. But my advice to you, if you're on a bicycle regularly going through a territory where there is an aggressive magpie in that short period of time, is that you do get off your bicycle and you just walk steadily through that area. And you know, on, on a bicycle, there's you know good evidence that 150 metres away from the nest is when the magpie will start reacting, and then. 150 metres past the nest, they'll stop reacting. So you've only got a 300 metre walk and then what you're doing is not provoking a magpie to do a behaviour that we really don't want them to do, which Mm. is to attack a human. I'm hearing and seeing conflicting advice on whether it's good to look at birds. You know, is making eye contact good or bad? Well, it's it's like most animals. um, If you make direct eye contact, a lot of animals interpret that as a sign of aggression. Right. And certainly if you have something like a, an aggressive dog, my advice would be not to, to stare at its eyes because what you're doing is responding with aggression in their mind. But by the same token, you'd want to keep an eye on it. So hence my comment, if there's a swooping magpie, you certainly don't avoid it and you certainly don't walk away not knowing where it is. So it would be a matter of, you know, the bird swoops you, Okay, you work out where the bird is, keep an eye on it, and then walk, as I said, steadily out of its territory, again keeping an eye on it. But you wouldn't stare at the bird. And you can you can look out of the corner of your eyes. It's not you know, it's not necessary to face the bird head on. What about feeding magpies out of breeding season? Is there a right or wrong time to feed them or is that just off the cards or off the table altogether? Well, I have to say I've been guilty of that and my mother certainly was guilty of feeding magpies <laughs> and I suspect some of your listeners equally. It's one of those things where if their diet's not totally based on what you feed them, personally I don't think it's a big problem. And as I said a minute ago, as long as it's not in that breeding year, breeding time of the year, there's no reason why, as my mother used to do, is you know, the magpie would come and sit on the back veranda and she would go out and by the end of, you know, three weeks the magpie would be eating out of a hand and all she'd be doing is giving it probably something the size of a 10 cent piece of turn some meat mm-hmm. and I would then come and think to mum until mum did that and so they had a good relationship mum wasn't putting a bowl of food out there so the magpie became dependent on it she was just befriending the magpie and there's, there's no such thing as a dumb animal is there peter they tell their friends and before you know it you've got more than one coming looking for a snack <laughs> Absolutely. And in fact, when, when we're talking about magpies, I mean, they, they hang out in groups of between, uh, family groups between 10 and uh, 2 and 10 animals. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's going to be a group of them. And then because, the, as I said before, they don't have that big a territory, their neighbours will be watching what that group is interacting with you. And suddenly you'll find you've got quite a lot of magpies visiting, visiting you for food. The interesting thing about birds is that crows talk about, uh, people talk about crows being the most intelligent bird. Magpies are up there. They learn very quickly who's the friend, what's the threat. Um, and so they actually recognise being as being quite an intelligent bird. Well, that's, that's encouraging. Let's go from the sky to the ground because spring is a time when the snakes come out of hiding and soak up the warm sun. And whether you're in the suburbs or the country, we still need to be aware. Where are we more likely to encounter snakes at this time of year? Good, good question, and it's uh, it's not it's not always a simple question to answer, and it's because snakes basically live in most places where humans live, and in the natural environment where people don't actually live. So during that cold period of the year, when snakes are so-called hibernating, they don't actually hibernate; they bruminate, which is a slightly different thing. 
they will they will hide under logs, in logs, in rock piles, um, under slabs if they can get underneath your garden shed slab. They will live in wall cavities. They will live in um, basically anywhere where they feel safe. Mm. And so if you think about houses and sheds, we offer a lot of opportunity for snakes to take advantage of that in their mind while they're urinating in a safe place, safe haven. Once they do come out of hiding, is walking heavily on the ground enough to make them aware of your presence? Because we don't want to step on a snake. That's an interesting question. Yes, there is some evidence that that makes them aware, but this is this is an animal, the reptile, so below about 18 degrees Celsius, they don't want to be active. Mm-hmm. And so they will come out and often sit somewhere where they're in the sun because they need that external warmth from the sun to become active so that they can then start feeding because if you think about it, if they've been effectively asleep for three months, they actually will then be quite hungry and they need to be warm and so they'll sit in warm places and that's often on a stone wall, on a, on a cement slab, on the edge of a path, somewhere in the sunshine where they're warm, warming themselves up. So it's more about being observant around you at this time of the year than actually stomping through the bush. In the wild, do snakes have many natural predators? Strangely enough, they do. And one of the main predators of snakes is actually other snakes. So there are snake species that are specialists that pretty much target snakes as their preferred diet. If you stop and think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense because it's the right shape for a snake to swallow. It's not a big bulky bulky thing that the snake is going to then struggle to swallow. Right, yes. And, and, And if you think about... What does a snake need in its diet? It needs all the ingredients in its body to replace its tissues in its body, and another snake's already got that for them. They just need to digest it and reassemble it in their body. Um, so, yes, there are a lot of snakes that specialise on snakes, but if you think about kookaburras and a whole range of um, predators, cats, foxes, dogs, goannas, snakes, snakes are eaten by a lot of things. Right. Uh, for kookaburras, is that their primary diet, snakes? Evidence that they're important in the diet. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that they're the primary food source. I suspect there's kookaburras, individual kookaburras that target snakes. And if you think about it, if snakes basically ruminate for three or four months a year, kookaburras would get very, very hungry in that time. <laughs> yes. Because there's no food, according <laughs> to the, the idea that that's all they eat. Well, I've already seen a nice uh, two-metre brown uh, already this season. Uh, it was the first warm day last week, and uh, there was one out there just sunning itself, minding its own business, so I walked the other direction. <laughs> and that's the, that's the right thing to do. I mean, that, as I've just described, snakes are not... In Australia, snakes are not aggressive in the sense that they are in Africa, for example. Mm. And in Australia, we only really have... of the. Uh, 140 species of snakes we have in Australia. There's really only 12 that are a threat to humans. And obviously those 12 that are a threat have to be adults. And none of them are truly aggressive. I mean, they become aggressive if you stand at them or you corner them. But they're not like African snakes which spit venom at you. And that, that venom that can be several metres away. And they know where your eyes are wow. and your mouth. And that's where the venom will end up, and that's when you will end up very, very sick. And we don't have any of those snakes. Um, you know, people talk about snakes being aggressive. Well, again, we we're talking about magpies being threatened. If you stand on a snake, it's going to respond by trying to get away and or try to get you off their body. And that's where people get 
possibly confused between an animal being frightened and wanting to get away and an animal being aggressive. All they want to do is get away. And if you think about it from a snake's perspective, it can't eat a human. We're way, way, way too big. And if they strike with us and they break their uh, fangs, which actually they need for getting the venom into you, and they break them on us, then that basically means that they don't have any way of catching food until those teeth regrow, yes. and that might take weeks. Mm. And so by attacking us, they're, they're attacking an animal they can't eat. They're running a risk that they're going to break a fang. They're wasting venom on, a, on an animal that they can't eat. So here's my point. Most snakes are not interested in hurting humans. I think we also all have a maybe a, a horror story or a nightmare story from, from childhood. I can remember, Associate Professor Peter Murray, that when I was very tiny, a carpet snake got into the budgie cage but couldn't get out because the budgie yep. was the bulge. So, uh, yep. yeah, I, th- I think many of us would have that sort of scary story. Did you have any as a child? Yes, I, I remember being terrified one day sitting on the back veranda when about a two-and-a-half-metre python crawled across the lawn directly below me and we all watched it with, with great trepidation thinking it was going to somehow climb up the stairs and attack us but all it was doing is moving across the landscape going from one place to another um, and then I think I, as a result of that it did strike me as we were all well away terrified of this animal and basically couldn't have cared less if we were there or not. It was just doing what it wanted to do, which was move from one place to another. Oh, fair enough. Associate Professor Peter Murray, thanks so much for your time and thank you for speaking with Ipswich today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for listening. And briefly in other local news, the Galvanised Festival continues until Father's Day. Major highlights include the Queensland Pioneer Steam Railway's Rhapsody of Road and Rail over the weekend of September 3-5, to 5, Ipswich Walking Tours and Bikes, Beards and a Barbecue, Sunday, September 5. Check out the show notes for the full program. Landcare volunteers, a sustainable school and a charity funded exclusively through recycling initiatives have been recognised for their major contributions to a greener city at the 2021 Ipswich Enviro Awards. The winners were announced on August 28. Congratulations to the Enviro Organisation winner, Westmorton Landcare Group, the Environmental Hero winner, Arnold and Joyce Reek. Arnold and Joyce have dedicated 20 years of continual hard work to the Mason's Gully project in Rosewood. The Sustainable Leadership winner is Goodness State School and the Young Enviro Champion winner, Darcy Witherspoon. Rosewood, Walloon, Marburg and Thaguna are in line for a program of road rehabilitation and resurfacing works. Council will deliver $1.63 million in upgrades until November, with an additional $3.63 million in longer-term upgrades later for both culvert replacement and road pavement reconstruction on Adelong Avenue at Thaguna. And the Riverview Recycling and Refuse Centre will open its doors to garage, kitchen and bathroom chemicals from 8am to 4pm Sunday, September 26. Ipswich City Council's annual hazardous chemical drop-off day provides a free and safe dumping opportunity for residents. The centre will accept up to 100 litres of paint per resident and up to 20 litres or 20 kilograms of other waste types without charge. Just a reminder, you'll find handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, 
people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswitchtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music Podcasts, or play Ipswich Today from smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.